You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Look at the title of my message up. It's very simply, it's my name is Legion. <laughs> and uh, um, you probably can't guess what story this is we're going to talk about. <laughs> of course, it's the story of Legion. There's some interesting things the Lord showed me today as I was reviewing the the story, it's in three of the synoptic gospels, and uh, there's one mention I have of, of part of it in Luke, but I'm going to follow the story in Mark, because it is uh, suitable. They are, there's a lot of similarity between the different stories, but I want us to begin by reading Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know, the Bible often speaks about slavery. It speaks about the yoke, about bondage, and about freedom, because ultimately the mission of Jesus was to set the captives free. He said it as he quoted Isaiah on the first preaching that he ever did, the first time he taught after he came back from the wilderness, he was baptized in water, came up out of the river Jordan. The Spirit of the Lord descended upon him in the form of a dove. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. And after those 40 days, he became hungry. And the tempter came and tried him with the three temptations. And, of course, he passed the test with flying colors, and Satan just left him. Now, after that, the very next thing he did was show up at a church and have the prophet, uh, the book, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah open, and he read that passage where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me uh, to preach deliverance, to set at liberty. Everything he mentions there in his manifesto, if you would, his job description was freedom, freedom, freedom. And it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's his goal and his purpose. He wants you free. He wants me free. He does not want us to be in slavery to the things of this world, nor to our own minds, our own ideas. He wants us to be free in his, in his liberty that he brings to us. So in this message, I want us to consider the great deliverance that has occurred in our lives thus far and what is yet to come. Because it's a progressive work that he is doing in us to set us free. I like what Paul said, I don't say that I have already obtained all this, but this one thing I've learned, you know, the things behind, I forget them, I press on to go forward. He meant that the process was still going of his liberation. We are being saved. We are being liberated. We're being set free. There is no one in this room, I believe, that has attained perfection. Just like Paul said, I've not yet attained Perfection, we all, though, press toward the mark of the high call to the measure, the fullness of the stature of Jesus, which is a beautiful dimension that seems inaccessible, but it will be accessible as we move forward in life. If not, during this life, of course, will we ever be able to be that? We will be seen that way by the Father through the blood-stained glasses through which he watches and sees us because he sees us through the perfect law of liberty, God's grace and his gift to us, which was Jesus. But we're looking at the fact that we're in a process, and really the story of Legion has always fascinated me 
because of many different things. I've even written songs about it in the past. I had this funny song. I almost brought my guitar. I was going to do it to you. It's a crazy folk song about the pigs and the demons and the demons and the pigs and the pigs and the demons and the demons and the pigs, too. And it was really fun. And they all went down the hill just as great the pigs and the demons and the demons and the pigs, too. It was like a country kind of ditty that I did years ago. It was really funny. The people used to like to make me, make me do it. And a friend of mine, a missionary friend of mine, used to always say, do the pig song. Do the pig song. But it was a celebration of freedom, not a celebration of demons or pigs. It was the fact that no matter how many problems you may have, the Lord is your deliverer, and He will take you all the way to freedom. So there are actually, in this message, I want us to see in the example of the story of Legion, this process of liberty that Jesus brings us through so that we can be free. Seven steps to freedom. And we begin with the story in verse... Uh, one of Mark chapter 5, and the first thing we see, number one, Jesus comes to our life. This is when Jesus shows up on the scene. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, this man had an impure spirit, but I want us to start thinking about the fact that this is the state of all humanity before knowing Christ. However, also I would like to extend that to mention the fact that it is the state of humanity while knowing Christ, but for grace. That He covers a multitude of our problems and our sins. We do not come to Jesus. I've never met a Christian that came to Jesus with a bunch of problems and all those problems were solved immediately. But they carried them into the kingdom of God. The difference is that they were covered, they were forgiven, and that person was set free from the bondage of those issues and their problems. It does not mean that those issues and problems went away. There may be certain choices made in an individual to be free. But I like to identify specifically. I like to identify with Peter when he denied Jesus. I like to identify with Judas when he betrayed him. I like to identify with the bad guys of the Bible. And learn from those things. Because I think we are all in part like that. So I, in this message I say I am legion. I'm not confessing that I have as many spirits as he had or demons, but let me qualify what I mean by this as we go along. But we start with this idea. Jesus comes to our life, and when he finds us, he finds us in sin. He finds us in impurity. He finds us helpless without any way out of the damning and destructive patterns of sin. So the sins are present in our life. He comes and things start to change. So this man with this impure spirit's there. You know, Romans 8, 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now I want to focus on this word realm there. This means region, zone, jurisdiction. There is a zone, a region, or a jurisdiction of the flesh. And in that place, if we, if we live and operate in that jurisdiction, in that place, there are laws and rules that are particular to that zone. And if you live in that place, you must abide by the laws of the flesh. And this is where people tend to misunderstand. However, the verse bails us out. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, 
Now, before we go on, let's talk again about realm, jurisdiction, the neighborhood of flesh versus the neighborhood of spirit. There are places we can go in the spirit. I see them as clearly as a distinction of the, the tile-colored floor and the black carpet upon which I stand. That for me in my daily walk, I have a zone of spirit and a zone of flesh. I'm not saying that I don't occasionally walk through the flesh neighborhood. And, and in fact, if you do something to make me angry enough, you will jostle me out of the spirit neighborhood into the realm of the flesh, and I will become Stephen from the ghetto, not Stephen the master. Because there's still it is still accessible to me. There's this idea that, you know, once we get saved, we are totally redeemed and we will never have to do No, you have a choice constantly. The choice never ends. Yeah. So there's a realm of the spirit. There's a realm of the flesh. I think it is our obligation on a daily basis to choose to live in the realm of the spirit. And so it says here, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed... The Spirit of God lives in you. Why does he say, if indeed? Because there are people who may claim and say that the Spirit is in them, or that they operate in the Spirit. It might not be true. Sometimes they make a claim to have an association with the Spirit, but they're thinking about a different kind of a concept that is a lot more religious than anything else. But if indeed, indubitably, proven beyond the shadow of a doubt, the Holy Spirit is living in you, and I know the difference, and you know the difference, because we have, our best friend is the Holy Spirit. I mean, the way he's here tonight is, it's proof that he likes this place, and he likes us, and he wants to be with us. This is a great honor. I, I bow, uh, honored by the fact that he would be here with us and attend our church, attend our meetings, and I always invite him. But sometimes he just, like tonight, he seems a lot more comfortable than usual. I don't know if he's in a good mood, or, but he comes sometimes with a greater intensity and power that I cannot honestly connect to something that I'm doing. You understand? This is part of the validity of the Spirit to me. I, I can meet Jonas on one day, and he's smiling and happy and beautiful. He's always beautiful, but you know, he's, he's beautiful and happy. He's got that big, shiny smile. There are some times, though, I see him come in, and I know the weight of the world is on his shoulders. He's in a different mood. It's kind of hard to tell. It's the same with Caleb. It's the same with Eric. It's the same with Anne, with me, everybody. People can be in different moods. I have found that the Holy Spirit has moods. And he will express himself differently at different moments. And he will act differently. Sometimes he's more playful. Sometimes he's, he's, he's more affectionate. Sometimes he's not so much in a good mood. He's different. We have a French man that comes regularly to the kitchen next door, a really nice guy, and he has perhaps one of the most extreme differences of, of mood of any person I've ever seen. Some days he can walk into the cafe and he is living sunshine. Like the happiest man comes in dancing, gestures, and there's times he comes, he doesn't even look at you, just marches straight in, sits down, and you can even say hello to him and he won't answer you. Because he's got things he has to do. That's just natural that we all do that. Well, it is also with the Spirit of God. God has different mentalities, different feelings, different ideas. That's how I know he's the person of the Holy Spirit and not a concept or a theory or some type of a theology. God is not a theology. 
The Holy Spirit is not a theology. The Holy Spirit is a person that will be in different moods, different ideas, different kinds. Some days he may want to do something that he does not want to do in other days. Now this is the key to successful living in the realm of the Spirit. Deference to His will. Deference to His mood. People often wonder, by the way I'm on a tangent, people often wonder, why is it that you, how do you yield to the Spirit? What does it mean? How do you know what God wants to do in a meeting? I'm telling you right now by divine revelation. With the, with the Holy Spirit speaking to me. He's standing right next to me. He says, explain this to them. That when his mood differs, you will feel that mood just like a person. Sometimes he's in the mood to prophesy. Sometimes he's in the mood to heal. Sometimes he's in the mood to set you free. Sometimes he's in the mood to make you laugh. He wants to have fun. That's when the joy comes. It's, and it's so extremely different at times. But the thing is, if we live in the realm of the Spirit, that means we live in the domain of the Spirit, and he is the king of that region. He decides when you walk in the realm of the Spirit, it is his, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of our Father, the presence of Christ. He decides whatever he wants. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. Deference to his moods. Deference to his whims. His fancies. I mean, there's times he just seems just like a fancy. He just does whatever he wants to do. And I have often been like, okay, I guess I'm doing that. Even if it's against my will. That's living in the spirit. It's like the wind. We don't know where it's coming from, nor where it's going. We hear the sound of it. But we don't understand. So it is with everyone that lives by the Spirit. Jesus made it very clear. It was not a confusing concept except to a very educated religious leader named Nicodemus. He didn't quite get it. Jesus was like, oh, you know, it's like this. Well, he was already confused with the concepts and the ideas of what it even meant to be born again. You know, he's picturing himself climbing up inside of his mother's womb to be born again. The crazy ideas that he was, there was a miscarriage in his mind of reasoning with the Spirit. Why? Because he was still in the realm of the flesh. He wasn't even in the neighborhood yet. And that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus is always saying, come on over to the Spirit neighborhood. Come on over to the realm of the Spirit. Live in the realms of the Spirit. And it says here that you, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Listen, there's somebody who does not have the Spirit. That's very serious. If they do not have the Spirit, or they say something to the effect that the Holy Spirit is not real, or the manifestation of God, the whims, the moods, and the feelings of the Spirit, that's not real. You're imagining that. Well, that, to me, states something very perilous, that they do not have the Spirit. And this is exactly what it says. So they do not belong to Christ. What does this belonging mean? How do we belong or not belong? Well, I like to simply think of it in more simplistic terms, that if our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's His book of receipts of what He has redeemed and purchased for Himself. So there it is. And proof of that, of course, is His favor in our life, which is His presence, the anointing of God. But he says here, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And what this is saying is that our bodies are subject to death. There is no way out of it. 
Now I'm just establishing all of this to say what I said a moment ago. Yeah, you're born again. You're saved. You are set free. You're given freedom, but you're dying. And because we live still in this flesh, we will always be dying, but we do not have to be subject to it. We do not have to live according to what the flesh is saying. If Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. That means here, now, constantly, every day, He gives you life. But it needs to come from His presence. And that's this first one that we're looking at. Jesus comes to our life, this qualifying passage. So the difference between the spiritual man and the man of the flesh is simply the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says, whether the Spirit is with them or not. It says, it's in simple terms, if I were to translate this into a more common vernacular, look, if the Holy Spirit's with you, well, you're His. If He's not with you, well, you're not His. Well, that makes me more than ever before want to say, Holy Spirit, come. Be with me. Walk with me. Prove. I want everybody, I want it to be obvious to everyone around me that the Holy Spirit is with me. I want, I want to be embarrassed by His presence. I want, I want it to cause me shame at times. You know, I want that when he's in a mood and he wants to be loud and boisterous, that I just go ahead and yield with that. If he wants to be silly, I'll be silly. If he wants to get serious and be concerned about things and wants to share that burden with me, then I will be concerned. I just want to yield at all times to Jesus. So here we see Jesus got out of the boat, it says in that passage. When God comes in his power, the situation of life has to change. No matter what. Now, things are going to change. The situation will change. Whether you submit to what's being offered or not is another question. But in this particular case, we're going to find some radical changes happen in this man's life. Because it says the man came to meet Jesus. And this is where it all starts. Our purity, our holiness, comes from only one source. Only one place only. Not from our goodness or ability to be righteous, but by going to meet Jesus. Now I'm leading us on a path here of deliverance so we can understand these things. And so the second step to this deliverance is we stop living in the tombs. Mark 5, 3. This man lived in the tombs. It says that that was where he lived. I mean, there's the realm of the flesh, there's the realm of the spirit, and there's just being dead. He's living in the tombs. He's actually living where the graves are. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. Luke 8.27, uh, out of the other gospel, the match, it says, For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. So no one was strong enough to subdue him. If it says no one was strong enough, they tried to subdue him. They tried to chain him. They tried to alter his state. They tried to do everything possible. And night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Which means if you lived in the neighborhood of the Gerasenes, and you were somewhere in that region, even in a boat, you would hear that man at night in the dark hours whining in the tombs and in the hills, crying, moaning, and in pain. But the question is, why was he crying? Well, partly I believe, of course, because of sinfulness. 
We know that all evil that is on earth today comes as a result of sin. The moral decay of life, the decay of our physical beings is a product of sin. If it hadn't been for sin, none of us would ever die. But because Eve ate the knowledge, of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then good and evil was known. That rebellion was the first sin, and now it's been imputed. That unrighteousness has been, been imputed down to all of us. So the state of sinfulness is death. The wages of sin is death. So there's no way around it, and all have sinned. So if all have sinned, and, this, and the payment is death, well then that's a death that's on us at all times. So why was he crying? Well, what drove him to this state of misery? What drove him to the state? Now this is the thing, in India there is statistically a very high percentage of insane, insane people. I've met many legions. In India, it's like one in ten. I know it sounds like no way, but I've seen it with my own eyes. I have seen at least 30 totally naked, bare-looking people with hair matted and hanging, walking through the woods like a zombie horror movie in India. You say, well, did you jump out and pray for them? No, not on your life. Oh, <laughs> These are some fierce-looking dudes. I was thinking out about if I will send you as a missionary, amen? I know where they live. I will send you, and if you feel so inclined to do that, then you go ahead and you approach them and do what you want. Uh, because they're on their own wandering. But this is different. This man, this, this demon-possessed man, is going to go to Jesus. And, and this is the difference. You don't have to go after the demon-possessed. If someone comes looking for help, then they're on the right path. Remember, we're looking at a path to deliverance here for us all. And we're going to identify more and more because this state of sinfulness is death. And we're all into that. Because we've all have... And, and like, why was he crying? I asked the question, why was he crying out and cut himself with stones? The self-loathing, the self-hatred. What made him feel these feelings? Well, we do not know really why he was in that place. It, doesn't, it says um, very little about his background. It talks more about his future. And certainly about this present experience with Christ. But we don't know. And actually, whatever happened and whatever brought him to that state is irrelevant in light of the fact of what Jesus is about to do for him. And I see that as, as true for all of us. It does not matter what we've been through. Some people really want to hear about what you've been through and your past and the horrible thing. I, I really don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Believe me, if you, want, if you want to get depressed, I can get depressed with you. I got stories I can tell you. We all do. Everybody, I don't care how great your life was, you still have stories of problems. There's reasons why you cry. There are stories right now, if you were to tell me about your life, it would bring you to tears. How many of you would say, amen, that's true? I know moments in my life. And it's so funny, if you go back and find those moments, you can conjure that pain up. You can stir, just like you stir up the gift of God and you stir up the Spirit of the Lord in your encounters with God, you can stir up that pain. You can stir up that hate. Why? Because those experiences, those pains, and also the positive experiences are triggered and dwell in the realm of thoughts. So the neighborhoods of the flesh and the neighborhood of the Spirit both are tied to what you think. So what you do with your thoughts and the way that you think will affect your orientation to either one of those realms and also your orientation to the Spirit Himself 
as he is in a mood wanting to do things. And deliverance is so that we, it was for freedom that he set us free, so that we can live in the freedom of the spirit. Of course, not in the freedom of the flesh. But we know that we're all physically in sin. Now there's another state of religious righteousness, which is just another form of death. And Jesus has to deal with this kind of death all the time. Because there were people in Jesus' day that thought themselves to be very much alive. In fact, more alive than Jesus. And it was so ironic that they would think that, that Jesus had to call it what it was and said, you're whitewashed tombs. <coughs> so another form of living in tombs would be to live under religious um, fiefdom religious control, where there is a religious structure over you that keeps you in a place of bondage. And many people obviously tried to help this guy, Legion. They did what they could, but what they actually did was chain him up. What they did is put bondage on him. He already had enough problems with his sin, but instead of trying to find a real remedy for that, which they could not at this point, they tried to tie him down, they tried to subdue him, imposing their wills on him and struggling to make him something he was not. And now I'm using this as an analogy, of course, because have you ever had people try to make you something that you're not? Yes. Uh, that's really the definition of religion itself. And it is my definition of religion that I have settled into after these 30 years is law without reason. So law that you keep, even if you don't understand it, it's just, it's just the way it is. No, you need to have reasonings of your laws. Why? What are the motivations of the heart? But religious ideals and what Jesus had to deal with in his day were very much surrounding that. You know that perhaps your ways are not right, but you still despise the idea of someone interfering with your life. You don't want somebody manipulating you. You don't want someone controlling you. You don't want someone telling you what to do unless you are in a realm of the Spirit where He brings you into subjection to some mentoring or some teaching. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. But even then, I always am an advocate of a person's individuality, their own personality coming out. And really, the core nature of man is rebellion. That's what we are. Uh, I, I come from a nation of rebellious people. The United States of America, that, we are like, proud to be rebels. I mean, that, when I was a boy, we were re we call ourselves rebels. We played on baseball teams called the Rebels. We, like, we herald and celebrated rebellion. Uh, it started with the fact that we gained our independence from England by rebelling against them at the Boston Tea Party where we would not allow taxation without representation. It's a long history, but we got rebellious against them and we did what we did. But it goes on beyond that. It is a natural thing because I found out that rebellion is choice. Choice not to do what someone is imposing upon you. And therefore, it's... Interesting that what could be rebellion from one perspective might just be freedom from another perspective. Yeah. So I see that people often that want to be free will be accused of being rebellious. Why? Because really they're the same thing. Because it's choice. Freedom is the ability to choose whatever you want to choose. Yeah. To do whatever you want to do. But rebellion is to not do what you're told to do, right? So if I'm telling you, now it's one thing, this is the thing about the Lordship of Jesus. There is only one and one person only that really, ultimately, we need to be completely subject to, and that is God Almighty. So man represents him, but if man is not truly representing him, if man is not operating in the realms of his spirit, 
well, then it becomes very difficult because we're just being controlled by another individual. And nobody likes that. And the devil knows this too, by the way. You see, religion will try to impose various bondages and practices that chain you down to a defined normality. Uh, we, by the way, we're not normal. Okay? So if, any, we, if what we do here tonight, what's happened in the worship and what happens in this place, we, we transplant that into virtually any other church and we are crazy people. Like something's wrong with them. That's not right. Now, there may be churches where, but you know it's going to be really funny and we're going to get the last laugh because fast forward some years from now, it's going to be everywhere. And all the people and all, the because a great revival is coming to this nation, the Holy Spirit's going to turn the place upside down from one end to the other. And people are going to remember us. Hey, they've been doing that for years. I remember, I went back to the shelter and saw that back years ago and I experienced that then there. And then they will come back to us and say, hey, Tell us about why have you had this? Why didn't you share it with us? What? We tried. We begged. We pleaded. We wanted to share it with you. But you made choices. Because people sometimes like to rather, rather than subject themselves to the script, they would rather subject themselves to man's rules, man's laws. And so we cannot replace. And this is what happens with religion. We come out of the bondage of sin. And then we just transplant over into the bondage of religion. Because for a season at a time, and the devil knows this, we can feel that things are good because we get the, the satisfying feelings of doing the right thing. But whose right thing? And this is really part of another form of um, bondage. And this is exactly what the devil knows. And he tries, if, he, if you ever get set free, the first thing the devil does is comes after you to bring you back into bondage. Huh. And that's what we introduced in that passage where Paul was speaking to the Galatians. Um, where he said in the very beginning it was for freedom that Christ has set us free stand firm you're going to have to defend your freedom stand firm, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, in other words Jesus comes and sets you free, there are people that are going to want to come and bring you back under bondage now he goes on talking to the Galatians in chapter 3 verse 1 where he says you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you? before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Now we know the answers to this. This is rhetorical. The questions are rhetorical. He's just saying, look, do you really think this? But I have to think about these Galatians. These were not the preschoolers. These were adults with minds that were cognizant of choices and could decide what they wanted. And when somebody came and superimposed a religious law upon them, one that they had never been under, exactly what he's talking about were the Jews who later came in his absence to put a bondage on them, to bring them back under a yoke. And it looks attractive. The yoke looks pretty because it seems like something to make you spiritually wiser. It's, it's presented in such a way that a lot of these religious ideas just seem so good because it just looks holy and you want some kind of external symbology of holiness. And, but all of that is flesh. 
Once again, that's operating in the realms of the flesh. It's not by, by the laws or the things that you do. It is by the freedom from which you hear. You hear the truth. The truth sets you free. And you're free. He set these people free with the message of the gospel. Paul brought it to them. They were happy. They were great. They were filled with the Spirit. God did miracles. Paul went on. Not long after that, somebody came in with another gospel, a different gospel. I'm glad you believe what Paul told you, but, you know, there's deeper depths. There's higher heights. There's a greater complexity, too. We have to grow into the depths of God's understandings and be very careful with complex gospels. It is not complex. It's simple. All we need to do to be truly free is meet with Jesus. That's number three. It says we truly see Jesus. Mark 5, we go back to the story of Legion. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Well, that's a good place to start. Once again, this he could have run in the opposite direction. And in a moment, you're going to think, well, the demons are talking. Actually, I don't believe it's so much the spirits that are talking as it is this man talking as he is being influenced by all these spirits. And I'm going to talk, I'm going to make that a little more clear. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. I'm thinking that Legion at this point is just being faced with another religious person. He does not yet truly understand the depths of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. The spiritual impulses of all of these demons in him are driving him. But he says very clearly there, what do you want with me? And in all the deliverance sessions that I have conducted and the thousands of demons I have cast out of people, you know when the demons are talking and you know when the people are talking. When they say me, they usually are talking about themselves. When they say we, they're talking about other things. I hear them speak in plurals. So it's a strange experience, but I've experienced it at different times. But I think this is legion talking. Jesus had said to him, come out of this man. He was speaking to the spirits. You impure spirit, directly speaking to the spiritual forces that were manipulating him. But the man is running to him. If the man did not want freedom, he would have run away from him. The spirits are the ones not wanting it. But the man is coming looking for help, just like we do. We all come to Jesus. We truly see Jesus. And as soon as Legion saw Jesus, everything started to change. And I imagine that he'd seen a lot of people, like I said, other religious leaders... All we need to do is see Jesus. I believe that many people have not reached the freedom that they are seeking because they have not truly looked into the eyes of Jesus in the Spirit, in the presence of God. And that I, I've spoken to many people who've come into meetings where God is truly moving, the Holy Spirit, and they said, a difference was made in my life. A real change took place. And because the Holy Spirit was there... Uh, one woman recently that I saw, I met, that said that um, I, I, I want to come and visit you. I visited you way back when you were in the shelter. And that's the only place ever I was slain in the Holy Spirit. And that's a person that was in the ministry and in religious environments a, a long time. But they had never had that kind of encounter. And when they ex explained it, so they came forward because they were called forward for prayer. And when they came forward, their body went weak and their legs buckled and they just fell. 
Because why? You're meeting the real Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's power in the presence of Jesus. And it changes things in you. It changes things about you. This man is experiencing exactly that as it says that he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Uh, he was not confrontational in the sense of coming to fight with Jesus, but I think when he got up close to Jesus, that power that was on Jesus caused him to just melt and fall to his knees in front of him. And I've seen people go through this experience because that's the real presence of God. Number four, my name is Legion. Mark 5, 9, now this is the fourth step to freedom. We're going to have to say the truth. We're going to have to say our, our name. In this case, he says he's Legion. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Now that's, of course, preface to what's about to happen. But here, I see the point of confession where he needs to say, and I've always said this all along, you know, that uh, a predecessor to true deliverance is admission of guilt, admission of the problem. Uh, without there being admission of guilt and sin, there can be no absolution of the same. So admission precedes absolution. Absolution is the removal. You, you are absolved of the effects of sin, the iniquity in your life, but you have to be able to say, God's not so much concerned about people's sin, but people who hide it, justify it, and don't come right out and say, all right, my name is Legion, for we are many. I got a lot of issues. I got a lot of problems. Instead of getting up and pontificating about how great they are, remember the two in the temple. The one was so proud of all their achievements in the religious realms and what they could do and tithing and fasting and praying and I am a holy man. And then the other guy stood in the back and beat his chest and hung his head and had mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, that guy went away justified rather than the other one. So the justification means he was made right before God. And that's we see this pattern again. Because Freedom can only come, this is an important step to deliverance, you will never be set free. If Even the, even the Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program, you have to admit, you have to say it, you have to speak it, which by the way was developed in the ministry of Evan Roberts during the Welsh Revival. It's a very good program. It's a little watered down now, you just need some supreme power. But initially in Wales, it was Jesus. You need Jesus. And they got people saved, bringing them out of alcohol. Why? Because that was a form of bondage they needed to be set free from. Because they had no control over that. It was controlling them. It was epidemic in Wales at the time. So the revival that came brought freedom from alcoholism and set the people free supernaturally. In fact, there was one move of the Spirit so powerful in Wales when it began that across the whole nation a strange phenomenon took place. Beer mugs were frozen to beer tops and could not be lifted. Not in one bar, but across the nation, supernaturally. Because Evan and the people made a choice and decided they bound that, that vice. And by the way, anything can be a vice. I'm not demonizing alcohol. I'm demonizing abuse. And the darkness is the lack of control, bondage to anything. You can be, you can be under bondage to anything. Anything can be a bondage, a yoke of slavery. So freedom, once again, is that power to choose. But here we're still on this step. My name is Legion. We openly confess.
to having a multitude of problems. He openly confessed to having a multitude of demons. He admitted, he admitted to having a lot of problems. So this is an important part of, the, of finding freedom. You must admit that you're not right in yourself, in your current state. In fact, that's the number one thing I've seen, that the truest sign that someone's about to come into revival is divine discontent. When they are totally unhappy with their current state, who they are, what they are, what they feel, and they just need something. Something's got to change. That is a catalyst for revival because it's a desperate heart crying out. And that's exactly what we see with this poor man. This is the lie of the aforementioned religious pattern will say that, well, you can achieve this freedom by coming under some rituals, some rules, some other things that we do, but in actuality, it's not like that. We just need to, in other words, the man in the temple again said, I fast, I pray, I tithe. Somehow, that was his belief about how to be free. He named his righteousness laws. And that other man just hung his head and said, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, that's the guy that you need to pay attention to. He's the one justified. So we must realize and declare our weakness. That's why you hear me all the time self-bashing. People, if you have a doctrine of self-esteem, I am really going to irritate you because I always am talking about my worthlessness. Because years ago I read a verse I liked. It was in like the Living Bible or something like that. It says, uh, when you realize your worthlessness before God, then He will lift you up and use you. And it is a... Uh, kind of a, a translation of the verse was says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time He will exalt you. But I like the realizing you're worthless. When you've done everything you know to do, then call yourself an unprofitable servant. That mentality of humility, it's not even, it's not false humility. False humility would be if it is not true that you're worthless. The fact is you are worthless. Now, you are valuable to Him because He loves worthless things. Bottom line. That's his benevolence. That's his grace. That's his kindness. Not many wise. Not many noble. He chose the foolish things of this world. He handpicked us. He hand. He found me where I was and handpicked me. I was not always this beautiful pastor man standing in front of you that you look at and say, oh, such a holy man of God. No, not I was not at all even close to anything like that. And I'm still not. But it, nothing <laughs> like that mentality of religion. I have a complete dependence upon this and I will be the first to say all the time, declare my weakness and, and say, I am not. See, justification came not from the, from the man who said he's everything, but from the one that says, have mercy on me. And that's all Legion is coming and saying, hey, I'm Legion because we are many. I got a lot of issues. I got a lot of problems. What can we do about this? Well, number five, after that comes the purity. We are purified. The demons beg Jesus. Now, it's funny because you see the demons talking and you see Legion talking or the man. So there's, there's different things speaking. Jesus is concerned about the man. Jesus has no concern about demons. He already dealt with them eons ago. So they, they had their just dessert. They're cast down to earth. They're doing their job. They're just peons working on behalf of God. They have, he's just, but he will not let them mess with his own. The ones that he's redeeming and reaching out to, he loves. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. Oh, yeah, go, go, go. And the impure spirits came out. 
the impure spirits came out of him and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now those tending the pigs, uh, they couldn't have been happy about that, ran on and reported this in the town of the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. Well, that's a spectacle. That was an exciting day on the pig farm. I mean, if you, that happens and you go tell everybody, you're going to go, I got to see this from my own eyes. And that too is a good thing. But it's interesting to think about legions. Legions, actually, they're like 5,100 and something people. There's a very specific number in the Roman military parliaments of it. But actually, it could exceed that. It was not uncommon for a legion to be 6,000 members. So, if he said we are legions because we are many, we don't know how, I mean, my question is, how many problems can a person have before they ultimately destroy you? I mean, how many demons can we suffer from? Uh, well, I want to do some considerations about this, and please hear me carefully in what I'm about to say. I'm speaking devotionally. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now that's speaking, of course, about us walking in freedom and how we achieve that freedom. And thoughts, really, thoughts are what derange us. Uh, thoughts are what pervert us. Thoughts are what misguide us from inside. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of a man. That's right. That first is thoughts. No words speak themselves out of your mouth without first being born in a thought. Is that not true? Yes. Your mouth just doesn't say, I want a hamburger. You know, without you you first have to think about a hamburger. Smell it. Hear about it. Something. Thoughts formulate out of you comes those things. So that means in a deeper, a more profound level of your being, you have to deal with your thoughts. And that's what this says, that we we take captive every thought. I'm going to explain some things about real deliverance. So thoughts are what derange us. They would, that's what misguides us. Thoughts turn into actions through a process called a vocalization which that vocalization then turns into an activation where we do something based upon what we thought and that can be good or bad. That can cause the woman with the issue of blood to take hold of the garment of Christ because she thought that if I just take hold... So thoughts can be good, but we have to choose the thoughts. It's our choice. We have the, We do not have a spirit of fear um, to be again in this bondage of fear. It says we have power of love and a sound mind. That sound mind he's given us that means the ability to make choices, which is our freedom. The same thing that could also be misinterpreted as rebellion, as I said earlier. It's I will choose. Well, brother, are you going to come to the all-night prayer meeting where we'll be praying in tongues for six hours? No, I don't think I want to go. You're in rebellion. No, I just, I don't, I don't want to spend the night. I, I want. I, I don't have a problem praying in the Spirit. You hear me do it pretty pretty frequently. I love the Holy Spirit's languages that come through us, and I love to speak in them. But I, I don't. I never have done well when people tell me 
a religious thing that we have to do. The most bondage I ever walked in in that realm was an actual, I was trying to bond with pastors in a nation where I was working and I was younger and a new kid on the block and they literally had a meeting uh, three times a week where they prayed for one solid hour, 60 minutes by a stopwatch in tongues. And, and man, was it boring. And I didn't think it possible but I watched people fall asleep praying in tongues. More than a few times. And it's funny because the tongues taper off into some kind of mumble. They're like, They fall asleep. And another brother, a little holier than the other, just nudges them. And then, So to keep from sleeping, we used to uh, pace. You know that, that prayer walking we call and it's so funny because this is this is how vain the whole thing was. I, I would do it just to go along with it, but when we would do the walking, other people would be walking too. So I remember building a rhythm and watching about the time that they would come and go back, I would make my time. And it was like a dance. And, and and there were like other guys that spotted me doing it. So we had like a little choreography going with people pacing exactly that we didn't have to alter our velocities and now so what good is that? What am I doing in that moment? Is that pleasing God? It was more like square dancing. You know, nothing was going on. This is a problem with a mandate given to us about ideas. So anyway, we have a choice. I have a choice not to do that if I don't want to do that. A long time ago, I found out, you know what? You're never going to please a religious person. They are inherently bitter. They are inherently angry. They are miserable people. That, that only they live for that misery. That misery is what they call piety. They call that holiness. That, that hallelujah, praise the Lord, that seriousness. I've been in the depth of it, in the thickness of it. And I don't want to do that. So I'll make a choice. Now let's go back to this idea of thoughts. Because, um, you know, we, we think many things. But we can become so unsettled by so many different ideas and opinions that we need to start sifting out which ones we allow and which ones we do not allow. Which ones we bind, and that's all binding and loosing means, is allow and disallow. So I have to bind thoughts. I have to say no to thoughts. Thoughts come all the time. I have horrible thoughts that rise in my mind. Eh, and I'll say, eh. I'll just shut it down. Just that quick, it can be done. And I'll switch to think about something else. Thoughts come, crazy ideas come, but my goodness, man, we have control, don't we? I think even without the Holy Spirit, we have a great deal of control. How much more when the fruit of the Spirit coming from Almighty God dwelling in us, because we have the Spirit of Christ in us, will give us the ability to take captive those thoughts, those ideas. So, And, and understand, I'm not saying that the demonic oppression that we're seeing here is something that we can rationalize as a psychological state of mind. But I am saying that the, the mind is where the control and manipulation of our lives takes place. When we become subject to those erroneous opinions of people and spirits. Uh, Jesus actually spent a lot more time combating the doctrines of men than he did demon spirits. As far as what came out of his mouth in red letters, he spent a lot more time speaking against men's words than he did demons. Because that's more prevalent. And those men's words, now maybe there's demons behind those, and it's very possible. Because the spirits just suggest, 
in your mind. They're giving suggestions. Now, you will seem to have developed some predilections to doing the wrong things if you have yielded long term to those erroneous thoughts. Yeah. And that's where we begin to see what is called this infestation of demons or being possessed, having a demon. Uh, can a Christian have a demon? If I'm a temple of the living God, how is it possible that I have a demon? I like what my pastor was asked one time, you know, Pastor Dunbar, can a Christian have a demon? And his answer was, well, I believe a Christian can have anything he wants. <laughs> it's true, because it was for freedom. He set us free. If you want a spirit, it's easy. It's easy. Hear a bad opinion that's not biblical and believe it and say, I'm going to do what this opinion told me. That's a demon. Because who's giving you that information? The devil. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will do everything he can to keep you from having the mindset of the Spirit, which is written in the Word of God. So when we take captive the thoughts, we also need to replace. Think about that, that spirits that are cast out of a man, if they go away in the dry places, they come back. If the house is empty, they will come in even with more. That means you don't just cast stuff out. You need to constantly be replacing those thoughts, those ideas, by renewing your understanding about life. And that's exactly what Jesus came to. Jesus come and has come to earth to calm the storm of our thoughts and minds with His power and authority if we yield to it. But we need His words to do that. He wants to set us free. John 8, 31 says to the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So real freedom here is coming from a re-education process. When we come to know Jesus, we come into the church, we have a lot, how much of our mind is based upon the Word of God when we first get saved? Virtually none. I had a great time talking to Lethon's brother who just recently got saved and he's just so new, so new. And I love it because there's no Bible there at all. There's nothing. Anything you say is like the newest thing he's ever heard. It's beautiful. It's an infant. But I told him to read John. Read John. He says he doesn't quite understand Leviticus. Yeah, don't, 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 don't. You need to go, John. Just read John. Read John. After you finish with John, go read Luke. And then go right into Acts. That's the path I give the new belief. Just go through. Just keep it simple. Later you can read all the other things. But that, because they need to be reprogrammed with the concepts that Jesus taught. The Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes. Those simple concepts that are radically Converse to what you find in this world. Mm -hmm. And they need to replace the flawed concepts. That's deliverance. That's del I see demons leaving people all the time in meetings where I teach. All the time I'll see spirits leaving people. I don't say, there's a demon, because I don't, I don't want to focus on that. If the Holy Spirit does something, I will honor the presence of the Holy Spirit. But I will not honor the presence of a demonic entity. Yeah. And when it leaves, it just leaves. Sometimes you don't even realize it's leaving. It'll just whoop, it'll just slide away. And you yawn, you scratch, you burp, you do something. You don't realize it, but it was some spiritual wind in you. It's pneuma, spirit, breath, that was breathing as part of your psyche, as your understanding. But truth sets you free. And of course, here Jesus was speaking to the people held captive to religious ideals, because it says it. The Jews who had believed him. So he had Jews that were believers in the law of God. 
and they're listening to him. So when we sit and listen to the teachings of freedom that Jesus taught, our minds are changed. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Ephesians 5, 25-27. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. How? Cleansing her by what? The washing with water through the word. That regenerative process. That renovation of mind. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So that whole purification that comes to us is coming through the Word of God. We are purified by His Word. We are purified by His presence. The power of God, the presence of God, the Word of God. If you sit under the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, if you sit under the Word, I don't mess around, I teach the Word. So when I do that Word, is it's constantly changing your ideas. And every time you change your mind, from not biblical to biblical, a demon leaves. Because he cannot be there. He cannot, he cannot, he only has one job, and that is make you think the wrong thing. And when you stop thinking it, resisting the devil, he has to flee from you. And that's real deliverance. It's a process of time. Now there are times we have to address the spirit directly and cast it out. I get that. But I think long-term deliverance comes through a process of being shaped and molded carefully each and every moment of our lives. Number six, we want to choose our path. Now once you're free, and Paul spoke about this, he was free to do whatever he wanted to do. But then he took his freedom and he gave it back to Jesus. And he's called himself a servant of the Lord, a doulos. By the pattern of someone who was a slave in the Old Testament that got set free, was emancipated somehow, had their freedom, either they finished a term of service, or they, they paid for themselves, or something happened. Maybe it was a, a debt, like a, a prisoner type debt, and when they came to an end, then they're free. But they decided somehow, you know what, it's better to be in the master's house than be on my own. So they go back to the master in heaven, put a hole permanently marking themselves as a slave. And that is exactly what Paul recommends. So your freedom is your choice, but what you do with your choice will dictate your orientation forever. Yeah. And so my orientation is to Jesus. I really believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yes. I really, truly believe that Jesus is my master. And I do go to the temple with him, and I have pierced my ear with the all as a permanent mark of my slavery to him. And here, this man, you see, he wanted to choose, he wants to choose his own path. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Isn't it interesting that it would say that? He was in his right mind because. Previously, he was in his wrong mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. This is the thing. People fear change. 
people fear any kind of metamorphosis. If you go through any change, that's right. I always say this too. When I was involved in drugs and all the things as a bad kid growing up, my family, they were worried about me. It was somewhat of an issue. They would complain a little bit about it. And, you know, you need to be careful. We don't want you to get hurt. But there wasn't a lot of protest. But then I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all hell broke loose. Man, that's when the protest started. What do you mean by that? You're denying your religion, my grandfather. You're born this and you're going to die this. And you can't, like, they want, They didn't like that I was free. Why? Because I changed my mindset. And no longer was I subject to their bondage. Because they had fed me things their whole lives. And some things are good, but some things are just according to some cultural orientation or religious orientation. So here this man is in his right mind. He said it bothers them. They're afraid. They told about the pigs. And so then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They figured it was bad for the economy. He's running around killing their livestock. Now you think, well, that's wrong. Why would Jesus destroy their property? First of all, pigs were illegal, okay? He was just policing the place. Pigs were illegal. They were illegal. So Jesus did have, he had no respect for pigs whatsoever because they weren't kosher animals. And at this time, you know, Peter's not on the roof yet. Amen. Now, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. That's interesting. So, really, Legion made a choice to follow Jesus. By what was the renewed mind, he had then his free will restored to him to do whatever he wanted to do, and he decided, I will follow. He begged him. He didn't just want to. He begged him, please let me follow you. As a young believer, I went through such an experience where when I was really freed and really saw the light, I went to a missionary that was visiting and I begged him to let him let me follow him in his ministry. I wanted to do that. But it was really not God's will. I didn't know. But just like he is told, he told him, uh, did not let him go, I was not allowed to go. And I'm, I thank God for it now because it would have put me on a path that wouldn't have been really conducive to who I am today. Uh, in fact, I don't even know that I would still be in the ministry if I had gone that other path. But I thank God that God understood that. Man will always resist change, but here we see that this man has changed. You know what? Let me find I'm going with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And here is him then learning, okay, he's submitting. In other words, his freedom is given to him. Finally, after all this time, he's totally free from these spirits. And the first choice he made with his newfound freedom was, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, I don't want you to follow me. I have something else for you to do. And that's what really brings us to number seven. We end with this. We do what God wants. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, in ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. That's a broad statement. All the people in ten cities. I mean, this guy had an itinerant ministry as an evangelist. That would have never happened if he had followed Jesus. Or maybe it would have happened differently. But Jesus already knew, man, you have a, your testimony is so amazing. I'm just going to unleash you on your own people. Just tell them the truth. Tell them what I did for you. And he did. 
And he made his way in all these regions. So he went away. He shared his amazing story with everyone who would listen. His testimony was, was incredible. And eventually, people believed, traveling to all these cities, doing exactly what Jesus told him to do, tell the people. He told them. That's testimony. That's testifying. So God has a plan for us. And remember the passage I mentioned earlier. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom to do what? Do whatever you want to do? No. The story shows us, in fact, not what you want to do, but what Jesus wants you to do. And that is the greatest freedom of all. The greatest freedom we will ever achieve is coming under the yoke of Jesus. Remember, it speaks about the yoke of slavery, but Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. Be connected to my purpose for your life. God wants to set you free so that you can declare His freedom to everybody and operate the way He's called you to operate. So I see these steps of freedom. My name is Legion. Seven steps of freedom. First, Jesus comes into your life. It all starts, of course, with the presence of God. Jesus showed up that day in great power and authority, stepped out of the boat onto the scene where this man was in a horrible state and he had to stop living in the tombs. He came out of the tombs to meet Jesus. This does not say that Jesus went into the tombs. The man had to leave the tombs. We have to leave the places of death to embrace Jesus. We have to truly see Jesus to be free. Not a religious facsimile of him, but the real truth. As David Hogan told me one time, you preach a real Jesus and they will come. Meaning that in the churches, people were preaching. David was very aggressive in the things that he said at times. And it was like, I, I, he traveled around all these churches and nobody's preaching a real Jesus was his opinion. And so he was telling them about the real Jesus, the powerful Jesus, the dead raising Jesus, the Spirit of God. And he was doing it in a time when nobody was quite doing it like he was. And so that was when I saw real Jesus. And it so amazed me that I just I knew. I knew and I needed for him. My name is Legion. I've actually gone to my pastor and told him my name is Legion. Not Legion, but whatever the other spirits, word of knowledge the pastor would say is people who have a spirit of whatever, whatever. I'd go up. I got to the point where any spirit, I must have it. So I would go knock on my pastor's <laughs> office door. I think that spirit you mentioned, I think I got a few of those. <laughs> and over a period of time, he set me down, educated me, taught me, cast them out, and got me set free. It was a beautiful process of liberty that I've come through. And my first thing was to have to admit that, man, because I tried the religious route. I tried to do the religious things to feel good. It only lasts for a little while. You feel good just after you light the candle. You feel good with the incense. Just because you feel like you did a gesture. And you're happy and you go away and you visited the temple or you did the thing. But it don't last. It's just a, it's just a little thing that you did and it really ultimately has no effect on you. And so... We are purified in the presence of God by this encounter with Him, by the truth, the washing of the water of the Word, and we want to choose our path. We have freedom now. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then because you are free, He says, look, take my yoke on you. Let me use that freedom. It was for freedom that I set you free, but freedom to truly honor me. Because there can be no honor of the choices of God Versus our choices unless we have free will to choose to do whatever we want. You know how I ended up where I am today. I told you the story. Uh, there was a moment when my wife and I parked in our car and we looked at a house. We were at a Y in a road and God gave us the choice. In fact, I've heard the same story. Uh, different, different situations, some slightly different circumstances, but pretty much always the same story from every pastor, minister, and church leader that I've ever met. That there was a moment 
in their life where the road that they were on split in two. And at that intersection, they came to a stop. Whether it be in a dream, a vision, or an actual reality. Came to, I, I think of Catherine Coleman's story, she came to a dead end sign and said she was walking down the road thinking about a life in which she'd done some choices she'd made, and there was a dead end sign. And, and she saw that the road she was on. But often we're given a choice. Uh, it happened to Pastor Pedro Vargas in Mexico. He was on a mountain. God gave him a choice between the life that he chose for himself or what God wanted him to do. And the same thing the Lord offered to me. And guess what? God just loves you so much. He could give you whatever you want. He'll give it to you. He'll give you, if you want to do that thing, you want to be happy, you want to have all that comfort and everything and do the things you want to do, that's fine. But even that, it's kind of gone back to another form of bondage. Because ultimately it's not going to satisfy. Because the only thing that really satisfies is fulfilling what the Father wants us to do. In big and small ways. Probably more in the small ways than in the big ways because the big ways are hard to wrap our mind around. But the daily obedience, that inclination, that feeling... To speak to someone about Jesus. To love someone. To give something away that you don't want to give away. To sacrifice. To, to do this. To do those little spirit things. With living in the realm of the spirit, as I said when we begin, it's obeying the moods of the spirit. Sometimes the spirit is so generous, he wants to give all your money away. It's kind of hard to submit to that when it happens. I know because it's happened to me many times. I've emptied my pockets out many times. Sometimes the Spirit wants you to pray for people to get healed. Sometimes, you know, it varies like we said earlier. But we want to do always ultimately what God wants us to do. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.